show me your glory. This is part two of the chapter. And uh, I was thinking as we were worshiping together of a passage in 1 Corinthians 14 where there's a discussion about prophecy. And it basically says when the ungifted or unbelieving person comes in, it will disclose the secrets of their heart. And they will declare, certainly God is in this place. When I think about show me your glory, that's really what we're, we're after. We want to know God. We want, we want to experience his presence uh, in our midst. And the good news is that he lives in us. Amen? Amen. And uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we come collectively, the church is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, how many guys went to the men's retreat this last weekend? Raise up your hand. Brothers, it was good to be with you over the weekend. That was a real special time up on the mountain. Uh, I pray that uh, as you got down the mountain, you didn't get spiritually attacked too much and that you are keeping things moving in the right direction. The theme is to walk worthy. Uh, that's what we studied up at the men's retreat, and we tried to bring that down the hill, and that is a beautiful thing. So Exodus 33, show me your glory. We're going to read the passage together. So why don't you, if you're able to stand, stand one more time with us as we read from verse 12, and we'll finish the chapter. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, 33, 12, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. 15. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live, 21. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Heavenly Father, as we think about this most incredible encounter and see it fulfilled in the next chapter, our hearts yearn like that of Moses. Show us your glory. Send down your presence, Lord. And you've done that in the person of Christ. In fact, in the person of Jesus, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We beheld his glory. Thank you that you came and lived and moved among us. And in these last days, you've spoken to us through your son, 
who is the radiance of your glory. Oh God, open our eyes to see marvelous things from your word, to have application, and to become more like you because we've been here. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Exodus 33, show me your glory. This is part two. And so if you were with us last time, we talked about this idea of a face-to-face encounter and how Moses used to speak with God face-to-face as one man speaks to another. I shared with you that that's a Hebrew idiom. That is a figure of speech for closeness or an intimate relationship. Moses, we just read, could not see God's face because if he saw God's face, he would die. Moses was a sinner, so he could not see the full glory of God, but he would get a glimpse of the glory. He would get to see God's back, if you will. Now, what does that mean? Well, what we're dealing with is what's called anthropomorphic terminology. What does that mean? That means we are being given speech so that we can relate physical realities that we understand with spiritual realities. So when anthropomorphic terminology is used or uh, figurative language is another way to say it, the comparisons with the human body to the person of God only go so far. It's just one way to express uh, a divine being like God who is spirit essentially. So that would mean he doesn't necessarily have a face or a hand or a back. But these are ways for us to understand what's being said. And so Moses' deep yearning is to see the face of God. Just in case uh, you weren't with us last, night, last time, um, this is a recap. The Lord said it was time to go to the promised land at the beginning of the chapter. He also said that he was not going with the people. That's 33.3. It was just too dangerous In his holiness, God might have to destroy the Israelites on the way because of their sin. Now, their sin that they had committed was with the golden calf. God was certainly angry. You could say he was offended. He was hurt. And he is a God of wrath and a God of justice. And so in one sense, this was an act of grace where he said, if I travel among you, I just might break out and destroy you. So this reality that God's not going with us, yes, the good news, we're going to the promised land. The bad news, God's not going with us, caused 33-4, the people to go into mourning. They began to grieve at this reality. And so they showed signs of repentance, if you are with us last time, by taking off their jewelry. Their jewelry was used in the making of the golden calf. And so they put on, if you will, the garments of mourning. And so Moses would meet with the Lord At the tent of meeting, I described that tent of meeting to you last time. It wasn't the actual tabernacle, but a different tent, and it was outside the camp. Do you remember that? And Moses would go regularly and speak with the Lord as one man speaks to another. And when Moses got up out of his tent and walked to the tent of meeting, the people would gaze at Moses, and they would look upon him. And I think there was kind of a longing and a question mark that hovered over their souls because they'd just been told that they were going to the promised land, but God wasn't going with them. And God even said, I'll, I'll figure out, if you will, in human language, what I'm going to do with you, you know. And that had to be a scary proposition for the people. What would happen next? How do you do life without God? We asked some of those questions last time. 
And the good news was that God was still condescending to meet with Moses, the mediator, at the tent of meeting. His glory was coming down in the cloud. That's 33.9. The people were also worshiping, that's 33.10, at their tents. They were bowing to the Lord. Moses was interceding and having these face-to-face meetings with God. That's 33.11, direct communication with God, etc., And so that is a summary of where we've been and uh, what has happened so far. And Moses said to the Lord, this is now an example of one of those face-to-face encounters at the tent of meeting. If you were curious, what did a conversation face-to-face look like? What did Moses and God talk about? Here's an example. Moses said to the Lord in one of those encounters, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name. That is obviously a deep personal relationship. And you have also found favor in my sight. If that's the case, in light of that, therefore I pray, Moses' first prayer request of three is this. If I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, you say to me, bring up the people, go to the promised land, but you haven't said who's coming with us. Now, we do know, as we studied last week, that the Lord said an angel is going to go with you. And maybe Moses was saying something like this, which angel is going with us? We know the angel of the Lord had gone with them at other junctures, but what's an angel compared to the presence of God? Angels are cool and all that, amen? They are ministering spirits. We learn about a few angels in the Bible, like Gabriel and Michael. I'm partial to Michael, personally. But uh, angels are somewhat mysterious, and, and yes, when they show up at the tomb of Jesus and in other places, they are shining and all of that, and somewhat mysterious, but still an angel is not God. And, and thus, this is a step backward. And so Moses is saying, could you clarify which angel is going with us? You've said, end of, thir- uh, end of 12, you've said, I've known you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. These, this language is the language of deep intimacy because we would argue that God knows everyone's name. Amen? I mean, he knows. There's an old Maranatha song. I remember it being sung at the Harvest Crusade many years ago. He, he knows my name. He knows my every thought, right? Um, and... And that's true because God knows everything. The world and everyone in it belongs to him. So if that's the case, then what is he saying about Moses? Well, remember, Moses enjoyed face-to-face communication with God, a special privileged relationship. And so this is something like, I know you and I love you. I've known you. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you when you were being formed in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, you have the great privilege of knowing God and being known by him and having him live inside of you. You want to talk about face-to-face? 
Now, this is anticipating the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is a down payment of what's to come, guaranteeing our future redemption. I'm pointing at my ring because I've pointed out to you guys before that the modern Greek word for the guarantee of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is an engagement ring, guaranteeing our future redemption. God gives us the promised Holy Spirit and says, this is my assurance to you. I will finish what I started, and I will bring you all the way home. Amen? Amen. And so we have this beautiful promise that God knows us. He loves us. He accepts us. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and even the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And so this is a great prayer request from Moses. It's the opening few verses. He says, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, I want to know your ways. Look at the middle of 13 that I may know you. Can I submit to you? You can't know somebody and you le- unless you know their ways. If you, if you want to make a claim to know anybody, I could say, yeah, I know so-and-so. Let's just say it was a, a baseball player or somebody who I, I know who they are, but I don't know them, and they probably don't know me. If you want to know the Lord, to know the Lord is to know his ways. Amen? And how do you learn the Lord's ways? You study his word. You learn what he's like. You cry out, teach me your ways, O Lord. I want to know you. I want to know your will. And I think Moses may be crying out because he knows What God has said so far is that he's got to lead the people to the promised land and God's presence in some way may be now more limited. What should Moses do? I want to know the God who knows me. Moses essentially says, if I'm going to lead well, I must know you better. And I want to say this to anyone who considers themselves a leader tonight. If you want to lead well, you must know God better. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul prayed, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to know you better. Give me 20-20 spiritual vision. I remember I was playing racquetball some years ago, and I was playing with a lawyer. Yes. (laughs) I'll just let that sit for a second. A lawyer. And he... I'm sorry if you're a lawyer, but he would argue every call on the racquetball court. Now, I'm using hyperbole, not every call, but, but he seemed to want to argue every point. And, and so it got a little bit annoying, and we were at the smoothie bar one day, and I was about to pay for my smoothie, and he peered into my driver's license and said, Aha! It says on your license, corrective lenses. I would destroy you in a court of law. And he was trying to make his point that he was right on the racquetball court because I had corrective lenses. Two points I would make. One, I had the corrective lenses inside my eyes at the time, which gave me 20-20 eyesight. And two, I reminded him that he's an attorney. And anyway. (laughs) So I I think I won the argument. I don't know. Anyway. 
If you want to be a leader, you need to know the Lord's ways because that's how you get to know the Lord. David prayed in Psalm 86, 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Listen, unite my heart to fear your name. In Psalm 103, 7 through 14, these are the words in the psalm. He says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. That's Psalm 103, 7 through 14. God made known to Moses his ways. Effective leadership in a Christian context is always getting to know the good shepherd. One of my consistent prayers is this. Lord, make me a shepherd after your own heart. Maybe you would pray that as a husband or a wife. Maybe you would pray that as a leader of a company or whatever the context may be. Make me more like you so I can be more effective. Uh, the first king of Israel, Saul, got himself in trouble because he tried to do things his own way. And God said he was going to choose a man after his own heart. Acts 13.22 reads this way. After he, am, he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom God testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, keep listening, who will do all my will, Acts 13.22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. If you want to know what that means, it's a man who will do all of my will. Not my will, but your will be done. The Lord taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to be effective as a believer, you must make his will your will. And so Moses' first prayer request is simply, Lord, you need to go with us. You need to go with me. And God in 14 said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you, the you is singular here, rest. Now the Lord answered Moses' heart, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. The beautiful result of God's abiding presence in our lives is rest. That's the end of verse 14. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Now, I would imagine that Moses being a human being had to be a little stressed, right? I mean, the bomb had been dropped on the camp. 
You're going to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And if I were in the midst of the people, I might just destroy them all. Moses had to be thinking, whoa, (laughs) this is is a little shaky. Maybe he was kind of stressed, even though he would go regularly talk to God. And God reassured him of his presence. The consequence was, I will give you rest. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Psalm 42, 5. Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now Jesus looked to his people who were under the burden of all that had been added to the law. The word rest is a Hebrew word which means a resting place, a place where one can settle down. If we take it as a promise to the nation, it could point to the promised land. Hebrews 4.9 says, there remains a rest for the people of God. And it's our job to enter into that rest. And what is that rest? For us, our rest is Christ. Our rest is Jesus. And what gives a life rest is God's presence. Amen? And I think... If I were to survey the room and those who are watching via live stream and I asked you, what has been the, the biggest thing that's helped you overcome anxiety in your life? I'll tell you what my answer is. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the goodness of God. It's the promises of God. And because he's with me, I have peace. So Moses will move now in verses 15 through 17 to turn his face-to-face Uh, conversation with the Lord to a prayer for the nation. He's gotten the first prayer request from the Lord, a gracious, beautiful answer. And he says in 15, then he said to him, second prayer request, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Okay, it's one thing that you go with me and beautiful, wonderful, but Moses is a mediator. We've all learned that, right? He has a heart for these people. And he says, now, Lord, please go with us. Because if you don't go with us, we are in trouble. How then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you, you're going with us, so that we, I and your people, notice how he rounds it out to the nation, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. How else might we be distinguished except You're in our midst. What makes Israel Israel? What makes the church the church? What makes a Christian a Christian? The presence of God. That's the difference. We've become the temple of the living God. The abiding presence of God is in your life. That's what makes you different. And that is the beauty that you can share with anyone around you. The presence of the Lord is there in your life. Amen. What makes people, the people of God special? The presence of God. 
Moses might put it this way. How can we be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19, a light to the nations, if you're not in our midst, O Lord? What would distinguish us from all the other nations that you've been telling us about and their ways and their gods? This is the great dividing line of humanity. You in Christ or not? Christ in you or not? That is the dividing line of all humanity. You either have Christ in you, the hope of glory, or you do not. You're either born again or you are not. You either are adopted into God's family or you are not. You're either going to heaven or you're not. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, test yourselves. See if you're in the faith. See if Christ is in you. We may be tempted to go it alone, but Moses will have none of it. Moses had 40 years in Egypt. He got a pretty good look at what life is like without the true and living God. No, thank you. No, thank you. I asked the question last Wednesday. You know, imagine if you were in that camp and God said, we're, I'm not going with you. How would your life change if all of a sudden God was not in your life? I mean, that would be devastating. And maybe if it's not devastating to you, you, you need to do some soul searching. The Lord said, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you rest. But what can we accomplish without you? I want you to imagine the arrival of the people to the Jordan, and they're about to take Jericho without the Lord. Because you know what happened at Jericho, right? All they did, the battle plan was to march around the walls, and the walls fell down. And if you've seen the uh, VeggieTale version of it, how many of you have seen the VeggieTale version of it? Come on. The people were throwing slushies at them. And they sang their little song, and it was the French peas. Keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't going to fall. It's plain to see your brain is very small. To think walking will be knocking down our wall. Thank you. I do parties. Somehow those songs were ingrained in my head as my kids were growing up. And I have to say they were pretty funny. Anyway, Jesus said, apart from me. <laughs> silly little pea. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. You're always backing up your father from back there. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I suggest a prayer? Lord, I don't want to set foot in any direction one step without you. I want to walk in your will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm trying to learn more and more not to take steps without the Lord. Because when I have, it's not been good. When I have, I've usually, usually stepped in a pothole. And so this is what Moses is saying. He's saying, Lord, the only reason we're out of Egypt is because of you. 
The only reason that we got the commandments is because of you. We, we're not going on without you. If you don't go, oh, we don't want to go. And I, and I would suggest to you that just in navigating everyday life, that should be a prayer. Lord, I don't want to take one step without you. But if you're leading me somewhere, I want to take steps of faith and follow you. You're the shepherd, I'm the sheep. You lead, I follow. So the Lord said to Moses, prayer request number two, I will also do this thing. Notice the distinction between Moses as an individual and the nation. I will also do this thing, first part of 17, of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Okay, I will go with you, and I will go with the nation. Beautiful. Why? Because I'm pleased with you. When Jesus was at the Jordan and the heavens opened, the Father said, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. And essentially what God is saying to Moses, he's the lesser. He's not at the level of a Jesus, of course. But he's the deliverer and he's a mediator, at least in a lesser sense. God says something similar to Moses. You've mediated. We have this close relationship. I'm pleased with you. Therefore, I will go with the people. And Jesus is the greater mediator. He, because he pleased the Father, and we are in him, we are now pleasing to the Father. Because you are in Christ. You see that all throughout the New Testament, right? You are in Christ. You're in Christ. God's not looking at you anymore according to your sin. He's not counting your sins against you anymore. Praise God. He sees you through his son. And with his son, he is well pleased. Because Jesus always did those things that please his father. And so the greater Moses now stands in the gap for the people of God. And so to know Moses by name is a special relationship, reinforcing God's pleasure with him. And God says, okay, I'm going with you. I'm going with the people of Israel. And maybe... With these blessed gains, you are asking some questions like, okay, wait a minute. Why did this go down this way? Why is it that God said he's going to judge the people and then, okay, Moses, you mediated and now he's not going to judge the people and he will go after all. Well, we're getting some lessons in intercession. Don't forget that the big picture of the book of Exodus is that it's a picture of salvation. It's salvation pictured in the Old Testament, but taking us to the new. The greater mediator is Jesus. Our sin would separate us from God, but the mediator Jesus stands in the gap, and now God says, even though I would judge the people for their sin, now I will not, because you've satisfied my wrath at the cross and through the resurrection. There's something else here. When uh, the Lord tells Moses what's going to happen. We'll see this at the end of the chapter. When God proclaims his name to Moses, what's going to be included in his name is a word called compassion. God is full of compassion. What moves God to compassion is that he is good. Jesus, you will watch in the New Testament, was often moved to compassion. What is compassion? Compassion, 
literally in the Greek language means to feel the feelings of the person who's hurting in your very bowels, in the deepest recesses of your being, to, to understand the hurt and the pain and to feel it with the other person. God is a God of compassion. When Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, which for the Jewish audience, they would say, that's an oxymoron. A good Samaritan, yes. Actually, it doesn't say he was good. We call him good, but his action was good. And he had mercy on the man taken among thieves, right? This is Luke chapter 10. And Jesus asked the question, which of the three loved his neighbor? I suppose the one that had mercy on him, the Samaritan, right? You go do, you go and do likewise. You want to know if you're growing in your faith in God, look for compassion. Because that is how God describes himself and his name. He's a God of compassion. And I'll tell you, and, and I know many of you can testify, that's one of the things that's happened in my heart after becoming a, a Christian is to be moved with compassion for others. Pity, concern. This is not the stuff of a, an outward show. This is to feel it deep inside. Well, Moses is two for two. He asked for himself. He asked for the people. Yes, I will do it. Yes, I will do it. Moses had to be feeling confident. Two for two, coming up to the plate for the third at bat. And so his third prayer request is simply this. It's in verse 18. It's our title. Moses said, I pray you. I'm on a roll, so why not? Show me your glory. <laughs> Woo-wee. We're supposed to enter the holy place with boldness, right? Because we're... Uh, forgiven people, and we come boldly to the throne of grace, and Moses is feeling bold. <laughs> All right, face-to-face -face communication with God, two for two on prayer requests, let's do it. <laughs> Show me your glory, Lord. Now, if you were there, you'd probably ask something similar, wouldn't you? Because it's the deep desire, I think, of all believers. It's what we long for to see him as he is. We will one day. We talked about that last week. So what does this mean? What does it mean that Moses says, show me your glory? Didn't Moses see the glory of God at the burning bush, Exodus 3? Didn't he see the glory on Mount Sinai in the glory cloud, Exodus 19 and following? Hasn't he experienced the glory cloud in the tent of meeting? We just read about that. What is Moses asking for? Simply more. He is experience God's form. That's Numbers chapter 12, 6 through 8. We read that last week. He has gotten a taste of what it means to be in the Shekinah presence of God, but he has not gotten the full uh, experience of what he could experience. God has shielded his, his full splendor, if you will, because he's already said, no one can see my face and live. Moses has gotten as much as he can take as much as he can handle. Because if God just let everything flow out, Moses would have died. So I think what Moses is saying is simply this, then give me as much as I can take. And I would submit to you that that should be your prayer. 
as close as I can get until I'm in glory, that's where I want to be. I want to seek your face. I want to know your ways. I want to know your will. I want to know my Lord. I don't want to do this thing halfway. Halfway relationships get halfway results. You'll get out of this what you put into it, frankly. If you want to give your time to the things of the Lord, to prayer, to the word of God, to worship, it's going to affect you. Show me your glory. See the word glory there? That's the word Hebrew word kavod. The Greek word is doxa. If you want the spelling, K-A-V-O-D. Kavod. What does it mean? Glory is a word which means weighty. In the ancient world, they would measure value by the weight of something. And so the word for glory here is that which is weighty. It's a, uh, in the Hebrew picture language, it's a view right into the heart of a person or into the heart of God. The glory of God is something that you can see. We've seen that throughout the book of Exodus. We see that in Ezekiel. Jesus said he's coming in power and great glory. Matthew 24, 30. They experienced some of his glory up on the Mount of Transfiguration. We beheld his glory, John 1, 14. Acts 7, 55 is another uh, reference point there. The word for glory means that which is weighty. It's what is most important in life. And here it's the essential quality of God's being. If you want to live for glorious purposes, you should find out what's weighty, what's substantive. What should you value as a believer and pursue it? You want to live a life for God's glory, that's what it means. It means to live with, for what's weighty, what's important to God. And here Moses is yearning for a fuller revelation of God's glory. He yearns for more of God, more intimacy, which is beautiful. One writer puts it this way, we've already argued that what happened in these theophanies was not that Moses actually saw God in the same way believers will see him in heaven, but that God manifest himself by producing for Moses' benefit some sort of shape that was visible and therefore gave a sense of closeness and locality to his contact with Moses. We've ex examined the Hebraic figure of speech face-to-face -face being more close-up and personal, but not seeing God's face, not seeing his essential being. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Jesus says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Listen, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, Matthew 23, 23. You've neglected the doxa, the kavod, the weightier measures of the law. What are those? Well, they're justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So on the third prayer request, the answer is yes and no. God says to Moses, I myself will make, note it, all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord, that's Yahweh, before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Okay, Moses, you're not gonna see my face, but you 
are going to experience all my goodness that will pass before you, and the name of the Lord will be proclaimed. Yahweh's response to Moses' request is, I will satisfy some of your desire, uh, as much as you can handle, if you will. My goodness will pass before you. Let's not forget where we are. The Israelites have just committed a terrible, idolatrous sin with a golden calf. Moses it has even gone to God and said, if you won't forgive them, then blot me out of your book. He's tried to mediate, but he couldn't atone for their sin. God, in his uh, essential nature of goodness and compassion, yes, he's just as well. And some people have paid uh, you know, very severely for what's taken place. But now he says, when I proclaim the name of the Lord in light of their sin, in light of your mediation, my goodness is going to pass by. I'm going to proclaim my name and my name is good and my name is compassion and I'm going to have compassion on the people. I'm not going to blot them out of my book. We're going to move forward and I'm going to be in the midst of the camp and we're going to move on. Praise God. That's who God is. We can't forget where we are in the story and their need for compassion. In fact, the people of Israel didn't know what was going to happen. And God says, I'm going I'm to come by, I'm going to pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord. You remember all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, we studied the name of the Lord. We studied uh, I am and Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And here's what we determined. The name Yahweh or I am, means to be. It's non-contingent, self-existence, completeness, authority, power. God's name is not just about ontology or nature, it's about theology. The dominant ideas in God's name are God's nature, his presence, which flows out of his nature. This is a quote. God will always be there for his people. This is his name, Yahweh. In a distant Egypt too, even if that divine presence is questioned or imperceptible. He, he will always be whatever his people need him to be at any given moment, in any given place. If they need a deliverer, that's Yahweh. If they need grace and mercy and forgiveness, that's Yahweh. And I will proclaim my name, my goodness, my graciousness, my compassion. This could be rendered, says one writer, I will show grace in being gracious. I will show mercy in being merciful. Some of you are seeing a familiarity in the uh, verse here because this is quoted in Romans 9, 15 by the Apostle Paul. The emphasis is less on divine sovereignty in soteriology, I would argue, but more on God's mercy and forgiveness towards Israel through Moses' intercessory prayer. Essentially, what's, here's what's going on. They've sinned with the golden calf. There's a big question mark on what's going to happen with the nation. And God says, I'm going to show compassion on the nation of Israel. I would submit to you that that's a big part of Romans chapter 9 is to see that God's dealings with Israel, he decided to have compassion on them. Now, obviously, the Messiah was coming through the nation, etc., but this is what's going on. And so he makes this beautiful promise. I'm going to proclaim my name. I proclaimed it at the burning bush. 
and I'll proclaim it again, key words that I want you to see in verse 19. Goodness, uh, gracious, compassion. We hear people say in our culture, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, that's the Lord, full of goodness. He is the standard of goodness. And Jesus went around doing good, we learn from the book of Acts, from Peter's mouth. And so he says, you cannot see my face. No, one, no man can see my face and live. You're not going to get to experience that full revelation. But the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And this takes place on Mount Sinai. We'll see in chapter 34. And you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by. That's what Moses asked for. Show me your glory. That I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Now, notice it says Moses will stand on the rock. God will place him in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, we'll see this in chapter 34. We won't go there tonight. But Moses is going to go up on Sinai and the Lord is going to pass by. And Moses is going to be protected by God from God. <laughs> because remember, he said, if you saw my full revelation, you would die. So I'm going to have to put you in this place. And when I pass by, and remember, we're using human terms to try to understand divine realities. But when God passes by, uh, this is the idea, some of you have heard this, of the afterglow. Uh, some of you who have been around a long time and uh, maybe charismatic circles, they talked about an afterglow. And an afterglow was you did the main church service and then if you were really committed and you were curious about spiritual gifts, you went to an afterglow. I remember going to one at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It was in a room with a fireplace, guy with a, an acoustic guitar. And it was just a chance to uh, pray and some people would uh, utilize spiritual gifts, etc., and it was called an afterglow. This is where the idea comes from. It's God's afterglow that Moses gets to experience. It's the, uh, the trail that he leaves of his glory. And if I were Moses and I was down there, I think I'd be tempted to peek, wouldn't you? <laughs> but... But God said, I'm going to cover you with my hand because you can't see my face and live. So I'll let you see the back of me. I'll let you see the back parts of my beauty and my goodness. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, gracious and compassionate. That's why you're here, Moses. That's why we're moving on with the people. That's why I haven't destroyed them. Because God is full of grace and compassion. Amen? And we saw that grace on display in the person of Jesus. Because in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, who is the radiance of God's glory. And when you watch Jesus touch a leper, open the eyes of, a, of the blind, uh, deal with a sinner in the culture, allows that person to cry tears on his feet and touch him, and we could go on and on. You're seeing the face of compassion. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Study the life of Christ. And watch compassion 
go to a cross. Watch the God of glory go to a death instrument. For what? To deal with my sin. Amen? Because he is full of mercy and compassion. That's why I'm not blotted out of his book. That's why my name is written in the book of life. Because Jesus is the face of grace. He's the fulfillment. He's the greater Moses. He's the ultimate mediator who ever lives to intercede for his people. Praise God. If God is for you, who can be against you? This is our God. And when you study the life of Jesus, you see it over and over again how full of grace and compassion he is. In fact, uh, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth realized through Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, it makes me want to pray, don't pass me by. (laughs) And I know you haven't. I know you have saved us, called us, Uh, sanctified us, justified us, sanctified us, given us the promised Holy Spirit and said, one day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and we will look on the face of God. What Moses desired, we will experience. Thank you, Lord. That, That prayer, you know, Job prayed something similar In my flesh, I will see God. And Job was going through it. But he said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know I'm going to see him in a new body. David prayed prayers like that. One thing I've desired of the Lord and that I will seek to behold the beauty of the Lord. To paraphrase, to look upon him in his tabernacle. Oh, that I would see him, and know him. And the beauty, Lord, is that we do know you already. We have the down payment. We know you. We are saved, sealed, delivered, and on our way to the ultimate promised land. Thank you, Father, for being so good, so full of compassion. Gracious and merciful are you. You are also just and pure, but you satisfied your wrath in your son. If you've not trusted in Christ, maybe you didn't realize the full extent of the gospel for you, what he did for you. Trust in him right now. Maybe this is a moment of rededication for some. Maybe this is a moment for many of us to just say, Lord, I want to get closer. I want to ask for as much as you want to give me this side of heaven. So I might know you better and better and be more effective as a tool of the master. Oh, Father, we love you. Bless this wonderful church and keep them strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand for the last?